Well, we're going to continue on our series. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Titus chapter 2. The outline's right back there at the center doors at the uh, ministry counter if you get one of those. We're in this Christmas season. It's a time where you exchange gifts, right? People exchange gifts, and sometimes you might get a gift that you don't really like. You ever receive that? You get a gift you don't really like, say, what am I going to do with it? I'll never wear that. I remember many, many years ago, before I was ever a pastor in a church, I was a plant supervisor at a place, and uh, the owner of the company gave the strange gift. Gave me a strange gift. It was a bizarre gift. It was a gift that he thought was funny. I, I didn't think it was very funny. And when you open up a gift like that, you look at it and you think, what am I going to do with this? I'm not going to take it home. I, and there's nothing I can do with it. I'm not going to give it away to anybody. You think to yourself, why would he give me a gift like that? And the only thing that could go in my mind, the only place that that gift really deserved was in the dumpster, right? It was in the garbage. Because it wasn't a gift that I wanted to share, didn't want anybody else to see. It's one of those bizarre, goofy gifts that someone gives that I had no interest in having. And it deserved the dumpster. And that's exactly what happened to it. I don't know if you've ever received one of those gifts in your own life. Well, somebody gave you something, say, man, what am I going to do with this? Maybe it was one of those strange sweaters, and you look at it and say, I'll never wear that sweater. I'll never, you'll never, that's not, that's not who I am. I'm not going to wear that. And you think, can I give it to Salvation Army? And maybe you throw it in a dumpster. Or it's some gift like I got a bizarre gift, and you say, it only deserves to be in the dumpster. I think there are times when our culture and our society, the world will give us gifts and offer things that may be enticing to us enticing to our passions, enticing to our selfishness, maybe even feed our pride, and we look at them, and, and rather than receive them, they only receive need to go into the dumpster. I don't need what that world has to offer. I need to throw it in the dumpster is what we need sometimes. But we want to look at Titus chapter 2 today. We want to look at this. This is the second message of our, of our series, our Christmas series, God's Presence in Christmas. The presence from God is the presence of Jesus, right? The present from God is the presence of Jesus. That's, that's God's present. And the Apostle Paul, along with his team, was uh, planted some churches on the island uh, in the Mediterranean, the island of Crete. And, and they started those churches, and Paul left, but Titus stayed. And, and Titus was kind of a, a, a co-worker with Paul, presumably younger than the Apostle Paul. Uh, him, along with Timothy, Paul poured his life into those young men. So Titus remained there. But keep in mind the island of Crete, that it was infamous for at that time for its immorality. That's what that island was really known for. So those people who had come to know Jesus as their Savior came with a background and a lifestyle that had was the opposite of the Christian life and, and living for Jesus. So the, those churches that Paul had started the, that were growing, those people were growing in those churches, had all the pressures from the past, but they had all the gifts and the opportunities in the present from the culture. And what they needed to do, they needed to renounce those gifts. And they needed to move forward in their faith in Jesus, right? That's what they needed to do. And so what I want to do this morning is take a moment. Let's read Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, and then begin. If you have Titus chapter 2, begin with verse 11. That's what we looked at last week was verse 11. It says, for the grace of God, and just stop, that is Jesus. For the grace of God, he's talking about, that is Jesus that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Then it goes on to verse 12, the one we're going to look at today. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
So what we have, we have kind of the bookends here, what he gives us here, that God gives us his grace in Jesus and brings salvation. And now we're in this time period in between that, that we're living for Jesus. We're, tr- we're becoming more and more like Jesus till the day that he appears. That's the final bookend, where we're going to see him one day face to face. Amen? That's the final one. And so he puts that together. But what does it mean to live like Jesus? What does it really mean to say we need to live like Jesus? By renouncing those things, by saying no to the things that Jesus would say no to, and saying yes to the things that Jesus would say yes to, that's the Christian life and experience. Know when to, when to say yes, and knowing when to say no. That's what we need to know. And so Dallas Willard writes about this, and he says, if we would understand the Christian life, it's very basically simple. It's Jesus living through us. That's what it is. It's just Jesus living through us. That we don't live the life, but Jesus lives it through us, right? And he asked the question, how would Jesus better be, be a better father than I am? How would he do that? What would he do to become a better father than I am? And he goes on, he said, how would he respond to that irate customer? Because I know how I would respond to that customer. How, how would he deal with and handle the difficulty between a husband and wife? How would Jesus do that? How would he really do that? Not how I would do it or you would do it. How would Jesus do that? And so our lives are constantly being transformed is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He uses the word, he says in verse 12, grace of God that appeared. And then he goes on and says, will teach us. Will teach us. In other words, what he's saying, it doesn't happen automatically. That teaching doesn't happen automatically. Now let me try to give you a picture kind of give you a timeline and see if you can relate to that. If you have a baby that has been born, and we've all been born as babies, right? Every one of us has been born as a baby. And when you're born as a baby, you're cute, you're cuddly, and you're wonderful, right? Near perfect, near perfect, but yet not so near perfect, right? They still, you still desperately need Jesus, right? We all desperately need Jesus. Sometimes I will ask a person, when did you come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? And occasionally I'll get an answer where someone says, well, I've always known the Lord. And as soon as I hear that, a doctrinal flag goes up because we haven't always known the Lord, have we? No one's always known the Lord. You may think you have, but you haven't. We may know about him. Well, we haven't always known him. But every one of us must come and make a decision about who Jesus is and what did Jesus do. We must align ourselves with him and accept his work on the cross as a sacrifice of sins. Every one of us have to do that at one time in our lives, right? Hopefully you've done that, but every one of us has to do that. So we grow as, as babies, and, and then we grow through our childhood. And maybe, maybe you were fortunate enough to have moms, moms and dads who are, know Jesus Christ, they're a Savior, and they're followers of Jesus Christ, and they poured into you and shared with you the Scriptures. That is a great advantage to have as a child. It's a great advantage to have that moms and dads that pour the Scriptures into you. Many don't have that. Or you have grandparents that do that for you. Many don't have that. But that's a great advantage to have in life to have that. And, and, and when, when you get to adolescence and, and finally maybe your college years, where somewhere along the line, where maybe God brings someone in your life, and maybe you get married. Maybe you get married or something like that. But somewhere along that line, hopefully it's happened to you, where you were introduced or, or exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along that. Maybe it happened at Christmas time, where you asked the question, who is this Jesus? And, and you looked and, and searched into that. I came to follow Jesus, made that decision to follow Jesus many, many years ago, decades ago, and I don't know when you made that decision to follow Christ, but many times that decision we oftentimes call a crisis decision, right? Not that we were in a crisis, but it's at a point in time that we did that. We didn't just slide into that. Maybe there were events that led up to that, but we didn't just slide into that. See, it, it was culminated by an act of 
faith that we had in our own lives. A belief in our heart and a declaration from our mouth, the Bible says, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross for our sins. Amen? And he, he died for the whole world. He paid our payment upon that cross, and he died. God placed all the sins upon Jesus, and he died for the sins of the whole world. And I came to a clear understanding of what he did and who he is, right? And then, as the Bible says, we exercise that faith, and then we come to know him by faith, right? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. We come to know him. And that was one event. By the way, that was an event. It was all God that did that, right? We had nothing to do with that. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that is for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. You couldn't do anything. That God did it all, right? That we were dead. So that day when we comes to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, changed everything, right? It changed our eternity. It changed everything. It turned our world upside down. We began that day to live in a different way, in a new way, right? Oftentimes, that life before that, we often refer to that as our B.C. days, or before Christ days. You've heard that, right? B.C. days, our before Christ days, that we lived, that lived a certain way. That now that we have that life with Jesus, our life should be different than our before Christ days, right? It should be. Everyone say yes. Yes, it should be different. The life with Jesus should be different than our life before Christ. And, and, and many people, as they accept Jesus Christ, for many, we continue to grow, we continue to move on, we continue to serve and all those things. But for many Christians, the thing that happens with them, early on they make the mistake, and they kind of believe, they think, once I made that decision, that God is going to automatically make me like Jesus. He's automatically, it's going to happen. Boom, I'm going to be like Jesus. Amen, it's going to happen. Has that happened to anybody? It's just automatic. Hasn't happened to me. If anybody knows me, they know that. It does take a rocket scientist to see that in my own life. It hasn't happened to me. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't just happen, I become like Christ. It doesn't happen that way. While that salvation event was all God, God did it all, the pathway to become more like Jesus, often called sanctification process, where God sets me apart for his divine purpose, is called this divine human cooperative where God expects us to do our part in that. we got to do our part. It just doesn't happen. And, and with our salvation, our salvation was immediate, right? It came in a point in time where I understood who Jesus was and what he did for me, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that point in time, right there, I, I became saved. I became a follower of Jesus. Now I'm a part of the family of God. And the Holy Spirit indwelled me right at that exact moment. Amen? It's called justification. I've been declared righteous by God. Not that I'm righteous. But now God looks at me, my position, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he says, Doug, you are righteous because of Jesus' blood, right? So I'm righteous. That's called justification. But now we're in this sanctification process where God sets us apart. God sets us apart to do good works for him. And to become more like Jesus, that's a process that's not immediate, but it's a gradual process that happens in our lives. Although that pace is somewhat in our hands, we can actually grow faster. We can help ourselves to grow faster, right? Yeah, there, there are some Christians who've known the Lord for 30 years, but they're only one inch deep spiritually. They've never grown. That's sad. It's sad, but they've never grown. There are some Christians who's known the Lord for a short time. I'm saying for a few weeks, but maybe for a few years, and they've just been like sponges with the Word of God. They absorbed it in, and they allowed the Holy Spirit to take the Word and change their lives, to turn their lives upside down. And they're not the same people they used to be. They're more like Jesus, and they're mature. They've grown mature. So maturity in Christ isn't how long I've known Jesus. We don't measure it that way, do we? It should be, but it's not. Maturity in Christ is how I've absorbed the Scriptures and I've become more and more like Jesus. 
And that only happens, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, and through the Word of God and allowing that to conform who I am, transform me from the inside out, right? That's what a mature Christian. It's not me just, I've known the Lord this long, so I'm mature. That doesn't happen automatically. And you have to be a part of that, that human divine cooperation that God has. So along this pathway, Jesus is saying, as his grace teaches us, to do two things. Now, all that that I gave you was the intro. Here comes the outline. So take your outlines out. Two ways to live a life like Jesus. The first way he tells us is this, is, is to say no. Say no to two things. Say no to two things. He gives us, and I'm taking this right from the passage right there, and I think it's in verse uh, 12 right there, that he says two things. The first one is ungodliness, ungodliness. And the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, listen what he says. It's really important for us. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. In other words, what he's saying, he says, do not love the things of the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, because the world is already in the process of passing away. So why would you love those things that are not going to be around? He goes on to say that in verse 17, these things are passing away. They're not going to be here for very much longer. It's going to be passing away. So why would you love that? Those things are part of our B.C. days. What does that mean, B.C. days? Before Christ, before Christ. Those are the things before Christ. They still tempt us, just like they did in the believers on the island of Crete. They were tempted by that. They still tempt us today, feeding our pride, feeding our ego, feeding our selfishness, and our envy and our greed. That's what they do. And as we are walking along, and maybe some of those words uh, we used to use in our B.C. days as we're walking along in our life now that we know Jesus. And we're walking along, we have our situations where maybe the emotions get high. Maybe we get upset with somebody or something. And what we want to do sometimes, we want to take the vocabulary from those B.C. days and we want to bring it into those days where we know Jesus, right? And we want to use that vocabulary on other people and use that many times, right? And you know what I'm talking about, right? You've heard that. Maybe you've done it yourself. We want to take the vocabulary from the before Christ days, and we want to use it with those days now that we know Jesus. Or, or even the temptations that come our way. Christians struggle with some of the same lust they did in, in their B.C. days before Christ. With, with pornography and drunkenness and, and, and living together outside of marriage. Some of the same things we struggle with it, where you go back, you want to grab some of those B.C. things because that's been driven into our hard drive by our culture. So driven into our hard drive that we can accept those things in our, in our hearts and minds. And while we're saved from the power of sin, the Bible says, we, we still have the sin nature. We still have those same habits from our before Christ days. They're still there by us. And we, we want to grab hold. We want, want, we want to respond in situations when things happen in the life with Jesus. We want to respond by grabbing some of that before Christ in using it here. And what Jesus is saying to us, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. He's saying to us, if you're going to be a light in the world that's filled with darkness, do you have to live like Jesus? You have to live like him. You can't live, if you're going to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you can't live like those before Christ days. Otherwise, you're not a light in the world. He says you can't do that. So renouncing these things, we need to renounce things, is what he's saying. We need, we need to do that. It's ungodliness. And I think what he's talking about when he's talking about ungodliness is those outward things that we do in our lives. It's our habits, our, it's our vocabulary, it's our manipulation, it's our anger. You know what they are. 
would have put them away. Would have put them in the dumpster like I did with the, the, the owner's gift that he gave me. We need to put it right in the dumpster, right? That's what we need to do. That's what he's telling us. To throw it away. Put it in the dumpster, that ungodliness. The second thing he says to renounce, he says, are, are worldly passions. I think that's referring to the, to the inside. The inside drives the outside. It always does. The inside always drives the outside. It always does. It's not the other way around. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And it is. What we are on the inside is who we really are, right? And during that time Jesus lived, there was a group of religious leaders. You know them as the, the Pharisees. And what they did, they tried to control or manage the outside. And they were very good at it. They were very good at managing the outside. So they did the right things. They fasted a couple days a week. They prayed. They opened up their pocketbooks and they gave to the poor. They were doing all the right things. And everybody thought they were so spiritual. But Jesus nailed them. And he said, you're doing those things because you're doing them as a theatrical performance. He says, to kind of to be seen of men. You want everybody to see you. And what he was talking about, there, there comes a world picture, a world picture of holding a mask, he says, as they were doing a theater to change characters. You, you take a mask, you put on a character to change characters, you grab another mask. And he says to the Pharisees, you're just wearing masks. That's not who you are. You're just wearing a mask. And he's telling them. And Jesus used strong words and a strong word in Matthew chapter 23 to describe them, and he used it seven times. He called them, you hypocrites. All you're being is a hypocrite. Theatrical performance, putting on a mask, he says, what you're saying. And I don't know about you, but I would be very troubled if somebody called me a hypocrite or a liar to say I'm someone who I'm not, right? But that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. That's who you are. You're a hypocrite because you're trying to live like the, for a Christian it would be the B.C. days while I'm following Jesus. You're being a hypocrite. You're wearing a mask. We need to take it off. But Jesus had talked about worldly passions about these Pharisees. And he talked about, he says, you know what you guys really are? He says, you know what you really are? He says, you give so much attention to the outside, so people think that you're really spiritual. Do you know Christians sometimes that do that? They give so much attention on the outside, they want everyone to think they're so spiritual. But in reality, he says, you're just dead man's bones. You're just whitewashed tombs. He said, you spend so much time cleaning up the tomb or polishing that gravestone on the outside, but if you can open up that tomb, he says, you're really on the inside, dead man's bones. You're dead on the in the inside. You're just rotting away on the inside, is what he told them. And that's really, really sometimes what happens. Or, or there's a cup, and you pour your coffee inside the cup, or your Diet Coke, or whatever you like to drink, you pour inside that cup, and you clean up the outside of the cup. It, wouldn't it make more sense if you're putting liquid inside the cup that you clean the inside of it? Wouldn't that make more sense? And that's the point that Jesus was driving. We need to clean the inside. We need to clean the inside, inside of a person's life. And by the way, Jesus is the only one that can do that. You and I cannot clean up the inside of ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. Then the outside will be cleaned as well, right? We always want to be cleansed from the inside out. Always has to take that place. We're just trying to do the outside. It's not going to happen. The inside will not be clean. And the only one that can truly clean the inside is Jesus, right? So otherwise, we're accidents just waited to happen. That this facade we're trying to put on in front of other people to think, this is who I am, when really on the inside, that's not who I am. It's going to come crumbling down one day, and they're going to really see your character and your nature. And what Jesus was saying here, he's saying, put this stuff away. Paul was saying, put this stuff away. You don't need this in your life. Get rid of it. Throw it in the dumpster. Well, how do you do that? How do you throw those things in the dumpster? I've watched throughout the Old Testament, and when I've looked at it, then you watch as people are exposed to the holiness of God. And one of the things that I notice, that the light comes on of their unholiness. Did you ever see that? 
soon as they see the holiness of God, the light comes on of their unholiness, that they're unclean. And he still does that today, doesn't he? Uh, to look at Moses, he encountered God in the burning bush, and immediately he understood that the ground he was walking on was holy ground. He needed, needed to remove his sandals, right? Or you think about Isaiah in a vision. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And John chapter 12 tells us who he actually saw there in Isaiah chapter 6. He actually saw Jesus. It was Jesus was on that throne, and the angels were flying around him and worshiping, worshiping him and singing. And they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah is looking at this, and he saw this image, and he saw Jesus, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah is watching all this, and, and this would be a wonderful time for him to take out his journal and write it all down, right? To just write this all down. But the Bible says he couldn't do that. When Isaiah saw all of this, he saw himself. And he says, I'm undone. I'm unclean. And, and, and I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm dirty. I'm defiled. I'm broken. And I live in a broken world. And I need to be, be, have the cleansing touch of God touch me. And that moment, an angel took a hot coal and touched his lips and cleansed him. And we all need that, right? We all, we all need that. As soon as you and I come into contact with the holiness of God, and Jesus washes us clean, we enter a world that is different, right? The Bible says the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. We enter a, a different world. We see things differently. At least we should see things differently. We accepted Christ that we've been cleansed by Jesus. And Paul, when he's writing to the Colossian believers, he talks about this. He says those old clothes that were part of your former way of life that you used to wear, you need to throw them away. Throw them in the dumpster, never to put them on again. And what you need to be clothed with is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You need to put those clothes on, the righteousness of Jesus. So it means renouncing. We've got to renounce some things in our life. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? I know it demands the Word of God that we need to get in this book. We can't do it without getting into this book and, and allow the Holy Spirit, He will take this book and just start chipping away at our life the things that shouldn't be there. We start reading this book and we find out, then, God, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I can't have those things in my life. And I need to renounce them. I need to get rid of them. I need to throw them in the dumpster. And that's what the Word of God does. It helps us to understand it. Because you and I just think it in our hearts and minds. We look at our life, hey, everything's great in my life until I start reading the Word because the Word is like a mirror, right? It shows me who I truly am. Not who I say I am, but who the Bible, who God says I am. I start reading this, man, I see, I see that I'm not who I'm supposed to be. And it starts to show me that I need to be more like Jesus. And so I renounce those things. I think it also involves prayers. It involves the Word of God. It involves prayers. We pray, and Holy Spirit, do whatever you have to do in my life. If I'm holding on some things too tightly, you have my permission to rip them from my hands so that I can renounce them, right? We need to renounce them. I think of these driverless cars. How many of you heard of the driverless cars, right? Do they have them? It's coming. They're saying the driverless cars. I'm not really excited about it. I don't know about you, because I like to drive, and I like to be in control. I don't want no one driving. I like to be in control. I like to have that steering wheel in my hands, and I control the direction. I control the speed. I control how fast we're going. I control all of it, right? I'm the one in control. When we pray, though, we are basically saying to the Holy Spirit, say, it's yours. You drive. I'm just a rider. I'm just a rider. So God, you, you control, you drive, you steer, you control the direction where we're going to go. You chip away at my life. That's what prayer does. Where I'm turning the steering wheel over to the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm, I'm being guided by you. Your direction, 
your will, where you want to go. You steer. How fast, the speed, and everything. We get that Holy Spirit. I think it also includes people. So it's the Bible, it's prayer, and it's people. That's why small groups are so important to be a part of, be a part of a small group. Building those relationships, renew those relationships in our lives. Or we're serving in ministry along other people. Or we're getting to know those people. Building those relationships. We're praying for one another. They're praying for you. You're praying for them. They can start speaking to you, helping you, encouraging you and stuff. And sometimes they might even have to speak into your life and say, like, Doug, take the mask off. You're trying to be someone you're not. You're not that person. Take the mask off. And they can speak into you, right? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the open rebuke is better than secret love. Not that open rebuke is good, but it's just saying that secret love is bad. An open rebuke is better than that, and it hurts. But sometimes God will choose to use that. Have someone come and kind of chip away at it and say, hey, you need to stop doing this or do something in life and confront us. It hurts, but we need that sometimes. Let's admit it. We need that person to come in our life. We may not like it, but it, we need it. So it says the word... It's prayer, turning the steering wheel over to Jesus. And it's also we need people in our life to help us to overcome the negative, to renounce those things in our life we don't need, those BC days, to renounce those and throw those in the dumpster. Those were the negative days. Let's talk about the positive things. You guys like to talk about the positive things, right? We like positive things. So the second way to live a life like Jesus is to say yes to things, to say yes. And this is really good. Say yes to the things that God commands us to say yes to that he wants in our lives. And I'm going to give you three things. They're right from the Word of God. I'm going to say these really fast, one right after the other. So get ready to write them down. They'll be up on the screen. Say yes to, the first one is self-control. The second one is upright things. And the third one is godly living. Now, these three things are really, really important, really, really important for us to have in our life. And I think the first two that we could pull off ourselves. I think we could do these ourselves, right? We could, if we, we say, if we really make our, our minds up and say, boy, I can be self-control. I can do the upright things. It just means doing the right thing, right? I've read the script. I've read the word of God. We're supposed to just do what Jesus would want us to do. And I think if we really try, we can do some good things, right? We can be self-controlled. We can do some upright things. But then I get to the third one. And I look at the third one and I think, I can't do that one. Neither can you. Godly living. I can't do that on my own. No matter how much I try, I can't live a godly life. The only way I can do that is submitting myself to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out, right? That's the only way. And I've got to do that, and you've got to do that, right? You know, we can do some good things on our own. Every one of us can. I can do good things on my own effort, do good things, make some right decisions, and upright living and self-control and be self-controlled. But it doesn't give God the glory, does it? because I did it in my strength. When I'm living the godly life, I'm living that righteous life that God has called me to be more like Jesus. And then when I do the good things, the upright things, and the, the godly things, and, and the self-control, God gets all the glory. Why? Why does he get all the glory? Because I'm doing it in his strength. I'm relying on him. I'm not trying to do it in my own strength. I cannot live a godly life on my own, neither can you. We're not, we haven't been called to do that. It's impossible to live a godly life without Jesus. We can't do that. So this divine human cooperative that the Bible doesn't speak about, but it is a divine human cooperative in our sanctification. God is always going to do his part, but he requires us, and God expects us to do our part. We're going to participate. I can't sit back and say, okay, God, you do it. I'm just going to watch. No, I have to be involved in that. But it's everything that I have to become more like Jesus. Listen, the dark world needs a light to shine in, in, in the darkness, right? They need that. And when the world sees 
that I put away some things, I got rid of some of those things in my BC days and got rid of those things. They might not understand it and wonder why I don't do the things they do. They might not understand it. But when they, the world sees that I've said yes to other things, that can be very, very attractive to the world. So when they see that I have the peace in the midst of a storm, when they see that because I've chosen to live righteously, that's attractive. That's attractive to them. See, the, the righteousness may not be attractive to the world. They're not so attractive because I'm living a righteous life. I'm not doing the things that they're doing. They, you know, I used to do maybe in my BC days. But the fruit that comes out of that righteousness, like that peace, is very, very attractive to the world. And that's what the Bible talks about here. See, in, in time, they will come to understand, the world will come to understand that they can't have the peace without the righteousness. And the righteousness only comes through who? Jesus, right? That we have to have Jesus. But when the world sees that righteousness lived out, not that that's attracted to them. They're not attracted to that. That we're living differently from them. They're not attracted. When I'm trying to be more like Jesus, I'm living that out. They're not attracted. But when they see the fruit that comes out of that righteousness, the love, the peace, the joy, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control, oh, that is attractive. They want that. And that's when they're going to come say, man, what do you have in your life that I don't have? Not the righteousness. I want that peace in the midst of the storm. I want that love. I want that kindness when people treat me so cruel. I want that gentleness. I want that self-control that you have. And it comes through that righteousness. That's what's attractive. And that's what we need to attract people with, that we're living out the life. That's what's so, so important, that you and I are living out the Christian life. That righteousness would be clothed in that righteousness and live that up so we can attract the world to Jesus. Not just our lies that we're trying to be good, but the fruit of that, right? It's the fruit. It's the fruit that's attractive to people. And they love to see that fruit. And when they see that, it draws them. What do you think drew people to Jesus? It's that fruit. He, he demonstrated the nature and character of God. Look at him. He's so loving. Look at there. So cruel to him, but he still loves them. He's still offering peace to everyone. He still does it, and they, they were attracted to that. See, from this point on, from the day of salvation, that sanctification process doesn't just happen. It's a journey. It's a pathway, right? That involves the Bible. It involves prayer. It involves turning the wheel, or the, turning the wheel over to the Holy Spirit. It involves people in our lives. And we move along, gradually move along, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We gradually become more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory, right? It's gradual, but it happens. And we become like him. More and more in our Christian life, we measure it. Am I more like Jesus than I was last year? Than it was five years ago? Than it was ten years ago? Not that I know more scripture. Scripture is good to know, but if I'm not applying it to my life, it doesn't help. Am I becoming more like Jesus in the way I act? Do I see more to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 in my life? That's what we look for. So we're moving along. We see, we find this, we found this in the Christmas story. Joseph, being a devout man, he's engaged to be married to Mary, right? You know the story. Their engagement period was a little different from ours. There was a contract. There was a binding contract. Gifts were exchanged between the family of the bride and the family of the groom. And those couldn't be returned. This was a very serious time, that engagement period they had, where they had to have fidelity. They had to have honesty. They had to have purity during that time. And Joseph is in that time, and he finds out, finds out that the woman that he's engaged to, Mary, is pregnant. And he's not responsible. So what is he going to do? What is he going to do? He has a choice. The culture that he lives in, as well as his religious culture that he's part of, said, you have the right to divorce her. And at that time when they were uh, engaged, 
You had to divorce the person to get out of it. And in divorcing her, you can embarrass her. You can expose her to the public, and, and all those things are going to come down on her. That's the plan, to bring some of those things from the world into our life, and to do some of that. And that was his plan to do. But then now God speaks to him through an angel, right? You know the story. The angel says to Joseph, that baby that is within sight of, of Mary did not come up from a man that came from the Holy Spirit. You need to take her to be your wife. You need to marry her. And so would you be obedient to the word of God, even though people in your life around you wouldn't understand what you were doing? Would you do that? Joseph did it. Think about that. Imagine. People coming up to you, Joseph's friends coming around to him, and they said, Joseph, is it true? What? That Mary's pregnant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah it's true. Joseph, are you the father? No, no, I'm, no, I'm not the father. I'm not the father. So what are you going to do? When's the divorce going to take place, Joseph? What, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm not going to divorce her. We're going to get married. Joseph, you, you, you're going to get married? How could you do that? Well, you need to understand that baby that she's having within her is not from another man. It's from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the parents said, what? Joseph, are you serious? You actually believe that? You believe that story she's telling? You actually believe, oh, yeah, yeah. You be, I believe it, he says, because God told me. So I'm going to marry her because God told me that. Can you imagine his friends and everyone around him thinking, you've got to be crazy. This guy's got to be crazy. Why would he do that? Why would he believe that? I've come to understand. I've been walking with Jesus for a very long time, and I've come to understand. I've come to the conclusion of living the Christian life successfully is impossible all by myself. That I can't do it. It's impossible to live. God didn't call us to do it, to live the Christian life. We can live life. Everyone of us lives a life. Everyone does that. But to live the Christian life. I can't do it. I couldn't do it without God's Word. I couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit of God live within me. I can't do it without other people in my life to encourage me and, and to pray for me. And, and sometimes they have to come and confront me. I, I can't do it with, without that. And God knew that. God is, don't you think God is smart? He knows that. And you're like me. God knows that about you. You can't do this by yourself. We weren't made to. And God knew that. So the day that I come to know Jesus, you know what he did? He comes to me and he says, Doug, I, I'm going to give this promise. I got a promise from God and, and a promise from Jesus himself. He says, Doug, I'm going to place with you my spirit, my Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you to the day of redemption. And he's going to be with you always. So wherever you go, he's going to be with you. And if you go someplace where you shouldn't go, he's going to be there with you. He's going to be there with you to convict you. He's going to be there with you to take the Word of God, to chip away at your life, to change you, and He's going to be there to encourage you. And if you're going through hard times and you think you're all alone, just be reminded, you're never alone because the Holy Spirit is with you. And after walking all these years, I began to realize that this human, uh, kind of divine human cooperative, that it really works. That God working in and through my life, that I can honestly say no to the things that I should say no to, and say yes to the things I should say yes to. Not that I'm perfect every time, but I have the ability now to do that because of the Holy Spirit living within me, because of God's Word, and people around me that keep me accountable. That I can actually say no to certain things that I need to save. And you have that if you know Jesus as your Savior. You have the same Holy Spirit living in you. God's Spirit lives inside of you. You have the same Word of God. You have people around you that keeps us accountable. That I can honestly say no to things, that I can live that way, and I can say yes to things that God wants for me, right? We can all do that in our lives. We have the ability to do that. We can make all kinds of excuses, but God now has given us the ability to do that. So we can't make excuses. God says, I've given you everything you need to say no to ungodliness and say yes to God and the things he has for us, right? We all have that ability. We can do that. And that's what God wants. 
So what does this mean for us? It means a couple things. Let me give you the first one. First of all, that we all have to have that day where we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We all need that, right? Salvation. You may not know the time, you may not know the date, you may not know the place, but you have to have that where you've accepted Jesus Christ by faith. We all have to have that. That you have a time where you believe, and you flush that out through prayer. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. Let me read it to you. That if you confess with your mouth, or you pray with your mouth, or whatever, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe, and are justified, salvation. And it's with your mouth you confess and are saved, it's saying. So that's a point in time where you in your life will receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you, have you had that in your life? Well, you've done that. And it begins a, a, an exciting journey like no other to become more and more like Jesus. Have you had that point in time in your life where you've had that? Hopefully you have. If you don't have that time, none of the things I said today will make sense to you. In fact, don't even try to live the Christian life, because you can't. It's impossible for you to live the Christian life without Jesus. So don't say, well, I'm going to try to live the Christian life, even though I don't have Jesus. You can't. It's impossible. What you need to understand is you need Jesus. And we need to just owe up and say that you're a sinner, because we all are. I'm a sinner. Everyone in this room are sinners. We all agree. Everyone's a sinner, right? We're all sinners. We've sinned against a holy, just, righteous God, every one of us. God is perfect, and we're not. And there's nothing you and I can do about that, right? So God in his grace and his mercy and his love, he sends his son Jesus from heaven, who is God, son of God, the son of God. God came down to this earth, and it was a spirit, and he took on the form of a human being. That's what we celebrate Christmas about. Jesus came as a baby. He came as a little baby, and then he grew up, who was perfect in all his ways, because he was God. He was the God-man, fully, fully God and fully man. And then he grew up, and then he went to the cross. The Bible said he was about 33 years old, and then he went to the cross, and God placed all of your sins, all your past, present, and future sins, all of my sins, the sins of the whole world upon Jesus. He paid for all sins for all time upon that cross. And, and, and the Bible says then he died and he was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, what's really interesting about that, that God was saying that I was satisfied with the death that Jesus paid for your sins. And he showed it by raising Jesus from the dead. I'm satisfied of his payment that he paid for you. So now you and I can have an opportunity to approach a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. Not because we're good, because Jesus is good and what he did for us, right? So we can come to God only the way that he's provided through Jesus. We come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know your son is perfect, and I know that he died on the cross for my sins, and I accept his payment as a payment for my sins. I accept him as my Savior, right? The Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's all God's grace. Grace did it all. God did it all. All we have to do is receive what he did, that free gift of salvation. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the free gift of God is Jesus. And if you've not done that, please do that today. Then, if you accept Christ, it's simply just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I accept Jesus Christ my Savior. Put my faith and trust. Please do that. And then you can say, I'm a child of God, and now I can live like Jesus because I have the Holy Spirit living within me, right? And all the things I said can make sense to you and be applied to your life. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. You've got to get that right, because that's about eternity, where you will spend eternity. So you've got to get that right. Secondly, for all of us who say, I know Christ is my Savior, do what I said. Look into the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to get into you. That's what we need. Look into the Word so the Word of God gets into you. And, and let's turn the wheel over. 
Let's open up the dumpster and take all those things before Christ that we still have in our lives today. Let's throw it in the dumpster, right? Let's get rid of them. It's not made for this life. We're supposed to travel light in this life. We're not supposed to travel with all that past baggage of the B.C. days. We're supposed to get rid of that. That's supposed to stop way back there. We're trying to carry it with us. All those things that are on our mind, all that guilt, all that, throw it away. Get rid of it. Throw it in the dumpster. Give it to Jesus. He died for those things, right? Throw it in there and say yes to the godliness that God demands in our lives. And live for Jesus, becoming more and more like him. My question, are you up for that? We, we only have a couple more weeks here in 2022. We're about going to 2023. That we would be the brightest lights possible in a world that's so filled with darkness. They need, to be, need us to be those bright lights that Jesus wants us to be, to allow the light of Jesus to shine in and through us, right? That's what we need to do. And one of the, the ways to do it is you and I have to get into the Word of God. And the Word of God has to get into us. And we're going to talk about that more in our series uh, in next, next month in January, a new series that's starting in January. We'll talk more about that. And, and we have to be in prayer. Turn that steering wheel over to Jesus. And also... We need people around us to get involved with people and relationships so we can become the people we need to be, so we can live that righteousness, put on that, that coat of righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, so through us, people might see the love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, and goodness, and all of those fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what will attract your family members. That's what will attract your neighbors. That's what attracts your coworkers. When they see you respond in a certain way, not your righteous living. We think our righteous living what's attracts them. No, it doesn't. That's what we're called to live. It's the fruit of that righteousness attracts. It's the fruit of that righteousness. That's what attracts people. That fruit of the Spirit. They love that. And that's attractive. How come? They're going through a difficult time. How come they have that peace? How can they be still good? How can they have that self-control? Why aren't they losing it right now? The boss just got all over them. But look at the self-control. Look at him. They still responded in kindness. How can they have that? Because of the righteousness of Christ, right? That's what it is. And that's what the world needs to see. That's what draws the world to Jesus and through our lives. Not that we're the light, but Jesus is the light, right? And he wants his light to shine in and through us. Let's let, light, let that light shine. But it starts with us living like Jesus. Not like our B.C. days. You will never attract anyone with that B.C. days. They're going to say, if that's what Jesus gives you, I don't need it, right? They need to see a difference. They need to see the light of Jesus shine in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much, Lord, when I think about this and your patience, your grace, your mercy that you have with us each and every day. Because none of us in this room, Lord, have arrived. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We all have a sin nature. And Lord, many times our thoughts, our actions, our words goes back to the B.C. days. We want to grab those, and we want to use them today because, Lord, we think for some reason it gives us advantage. We can hurt someone or whatever we do with those. Lord, help us to renounce those things. Help us to throw them in the dumpster and leave them there, never to pick them up again. Help us to live the life you called us to live, Lord. But the only way we can do it, Lord, is to surrender. To come to you in prayer and say, God, I can't do this. Surrender our hearts and our minds, our ways, our wills, give you the control of the steering wheel of our lives. Say, God, you choose the speed, you, speed, you choose the direction, and I will follow you. Help us to be those people. Help us to get in the Word of God so the Word of God can get into us and transform our lives to be more like Jesus. 
Help us be involved in people's lives, Lord. That's one of the ways. We're not to uh, just learn the Word of God for ourselves, but we're to use it to minister to others, to other believers who know Jesus, but also to people who don't know Jesus. Help us to realize that's important for our lives to become who Jesus wants us to be. And then, Lord, as we're doing this, we become more and more like you. We put on the righteousness of Jesus. And, Lord, we allow that light to shine. And we see people being attracted to us. And if anybody asks us, why do you have that peace? And we don't try to make excuses how good we are, but we say, no, because of Jesus. It's the only reason. Because of Christ in my life, what he's done in my life. I, I can't, I'm not like this. This is who Jesus is. We promise, Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. But help us to be that way in our lives. As Christmas comes, Lord, we put on the righteousness of Christ, and people might see the fruit of Jesus in and through our lives. And Lord, we promise to give you all the glory. Lord, I pray for that person here or who might be listening that doesn't know Jesus. And they don't really understand the true meaning of Christmas and this Christmas season and that Jesus came in a baby. Lord, help them to understand who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for their sins. And right now, all they have to do is put their faith and trust in him, accept him as their Savior. And Lord, it will forgive them. They become part of the family. The Holy Spirit will indwell them. And Lord, they can live the life you've called them to live. But I pray for that person. I pray for their soul. If someone doesn't know Christ, I pray that they would see they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Help them to understand that, Lord. Help them to see the reality of their sin. We're all sinners. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We're all sinners. Desperate need of a Savior. Can't save ourselves. So I pray that for each one. I pray for each person here, Lord, as we approach the Christmas season with all the busyness, Lord. I pray you'd give them time to accomplish all the things they need to do. But Lord, I pray that they would have time to spend it with you. To think about and meditate all that you did for them by coming into this world. You left the glory of heaven and all of its riches and all the worship, the angels worshiping you on the throne to come down to this filthy, dirty, sinful earth to become a human being. The holiness and grace of God the train of your robe filled the temple with glory, came down to this earth to become a human being. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. What a story. But that's what our God did. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. Let us spend time thanking you for coming here to loving us that much, to die for us. The sacrifice that you gave for us is unimaginable. So, Lord, we're so thankful for that. And let us spend time with you in the scriptures, reading Titus chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, and the other ones in Matthew and Luke and Luke 2, and just remember the Christmas story, all that you did for us and all that it means for us. So Lord, not only for us, but we would give an opportunity to share with anybody that might ask this more about it. Would you freshen our minds? And Lord, we're ready to share with them. Lord, we praise you and we look so much forward to the opportunity this Christmas brings to our lives. Not only to be with friends and family, but the opportunity maybe to share with them about the true Christmas meaning. So, Lord, we pray for our loved ones and our family members who don't know Jesus. That they might come, their hearts would be tender, and they might have an opportunity. We pray for all of us that do, Lord, that our hearts would be ready, Lord, to live and put on the righteousness of Christ this Christmas. That you might be glorified in everything that we do. And, Lord, we promise to give you all the glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name.